so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. God is a holy God, and He is serious about us walking in holiness. Without holiness, no one can see the Lord. The Bible says, woe to those who isolate themselves or who don't have anyone there to pick them up when they fall down. The gospel hope is that we believe in a God who is engaged with His Son. I have had to come to terms with the fact that I live in a broken world and I live in a broken body. What if the one thing that we're praying for God to take away is the one thing He's using to make us more like Jesus. Welcome to the ERLC Podcast. I'm Trillia Newbell, the Director of Community Outreach here at the ERLC. I am excited to have Dan Darling, who is my boss, my friend, and also the Vice President of Communications here on the podcast. We are going to be talking about human dignity. We have been doing a series called How to Handle, and this is probably one of the, the I, I would say, most important um, topics for the church today human dignity. So we I'm I'm really excited to to think about this, to talk about it, to glean wisdom from Dan as I've watched him over the last couple of years. Um this is a topic that isn't just near and dear to his heart on Twitter or <laughs> on social media, but something that he's lived out, he's walked out, he's volunteered, he um he shares with people. It's something that that he's walking out in his faith. So not only in his faith, but also in projects. He has a book coming up on this topic with the Good Book Company that he will tell us more about. So, Dan, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. I, I've really enjoyed this series, by the way. I think oh, thank it's a, you. such a great idea and honored to be here. So let's go straight into the topic. First of all, I don't know how much you can tell us about your book yet, but is there anything that you, you can share? What is – I know it's on this topic. Well, I can talk a lot about the book, in fact. Um you know, it, it comes out in September. September. So, uh, but I am encouraging people to be watching so that they can pre-order the book. But I'm very excited about it. This is a project that really kind of hits close to home to me. Uh, I've written a few books, and I've, I love all all my books, of course. But this idea of human dignity is really compelling to me. I really believe that Christianity has the most robust and complete view. Of of human dignity. I mean, um, there are other there are traces of it in other religions, you know, in other philosophies, of course. But uh, if you really look what the Bible says about what it means to be a human, what it means to be created in the image of God, to have inherent dignity and worth that is not uh, in any way tied to your 
ability or your, your utility, uh, wh- what it means to be human. I really think we're in a time that this question of what does it mean to be human and what does it mean to see others as human might be more important than any other other time. Mm-hmm. And uh, it really it hits across a, a range of of issues and and uh, kind of crosses a lot of a lot of lines. Absolutely. And so let's get into that. First of all, um, so we understand that why um, this topic is important to you. Why is it important for the church to consider? And what are some of those lines when we're talking about human dignity? What exactly are we talking about? So, I mean, it's important for the church because it's it's really central to the gospel narrative that that God created humans. You, you know, if you if you read the narrative in Genesis about the creation narrative that Moses writes, um, Moses he stops his. It's, it's like he pauses his narration to describe the way that God created humans and with such uh, care and and skill. I mean, it says that God spoke uh, into existence all of creation, but with humans, he kind of reaches down and sculpts humans mm-hmm. out of the dust of the ground and gives them the breath of life. I mean, think of what David says in Psalm 139, that each human is is uh, intricately woven by the creator in the mother's womb. And so there's humanity is endowed with a special um, quality and special dignity because uh, and, and the creator has special love for him. And it's really central to the theme of the Bible that God not only created humans in his image, but has rescued humans from the corruption of sin, from the things that turn us against each other. And in Christ is uh, restoring and redeeming our humanity. Mm-hmm. So Christianity doesn't just give you this exalted view of humanity, which it does, but it also gives in Christ the solution for our corrupted humanity, mm-hmm. for the brokenness of our humanity. And what are – so we've, we know that we are created in the image of God. We know that this is God's doing. He reached down, I believe is what you said, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is man that you are mindful of him? Right. That you would create the heavens and you would be mindful of man. Right. I, I often go to Psalm 8 when I'm thinking about this. So, But what, um, what are some of those topics – Let's get real specific. Some of the topics that that you're going to be addressing in not only your book, but but that is on your heart for this topic. Well, it, it crosses lines because, so for instance, if you start at the beginning of life, it, it compels us to say that from the very earliest stages of, of life, that unborn humans are persons, mm-hmm. that they're people, that and uh, Christianity looks at the unborn person and said, there's a person here. Mm-hmm. There's, there's personhood here. There's not just a clump of cells or tissues, but it also affects the way we see humanity all throughout life. So the way we think about the elderly, um, that the elderly are not just people we kind of want to cast aside and, and, um, kind of find ways to, to move, move away from, uh, but they, even, even humans at the, at the end of their lives with very little to give, are created in the image of God and right. have worth and dignity to God and all the way in between. So the way we think about race, you know, if you really believe that we are all created in the image of God, then you have we, – we not only have to see each other, different races, as beautiful and created in the image of God, but we also should be speaking up when, for marginalized people whose voices are being silenced. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, it impacts the way we view race. It impacts the way we view, I think, immigrants yes. and refugees. Mm-hmm. So uh, you can't just say, 
I mean, anytime you have a people group that you're sort of othering, you're sort of putting over here and saying they're the problem and you're, you're kind of dehumanizing them. Absolutely. So we use – across all these things, we use euphemisms that allow us to diminish people's humanity so we don't have to think about them. So we say fetus for the unborn. We say illegals. Mm. You know, We just say those mm. illegals for immigrants or we say – you know, we have a lot of terms like anchor babies and other kind of pejorative terms for, for immigrants and refugees. Um, and this historically in societies, when you've had people groups that have been marginalized like this, it – it then leads you to be able to have policies and things that, that hurt them. And so I think as Christians, we have to bring this idea to bear, which means sometimes it means we're going to be very conservative. And we're going right. to say, yeah, I'm pro-life because that, that baby in the womb is a person and has dignity. We're also going to say that immigrant, I care about what happens to them. Now, immigration policy is complex. And good people disagree on where the line should be and government has to protect its borders. But I need to care about that person. Right. You know, I can't just say, well, let's just kick them out. They're a drain on society. What happens to them? You know, they're made in the image of God. I, I need to care about them. We need to care about race and the racial tensions and racial justice. Not, not because it's a left wing issue, not because the media is talking about it, not because of anything, just but because <laughs> as Christians, this idea of the image of God compels us. Yes. Amen. You know, I kept thinking, People, people, church, church. That's what the church is made up yes. of. And so if we are going to care for the unborn, if mm -hmm. we are going to care for people made in the image of God for race, mm -hmm. immigration, or immigrants, any any person, then it should be something that is so central to the mm -hmm. heartbeat of the church. That doesn't mean that we every church needs to take up some sort of right. um, political stance or right. that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about people made in the image of God and caring for people, people that Jesus died for. Absolutely. And so that is I I'm, I'm I'm glad that you are taking on this topic holistically mm -hmm. and thinking through what does it mean um, what does human dignity mean beyond just um, the topic of abortion, which is incredibly important? Mm -hmm. It is essential that we're talking about it, but that we're broadening this topic uh, so mm -hmm. that we hit um, and and we're thinking about people in general. Yeah, and it, and it even affects the way we think about ourselves. And so mm -hmm. as image bearers, uh, the temptation is either to turn inward and worship ourselves this is what happened with the corruption of sin. And so you notice like in in the Old Testament, after Genesis 9, after you know Noah gets off the ark and, and God reiterates that you know the dignity of human life, that it's made in the image of God. The, the Old Testament doesn't really talk about the image of God language much. It, it then talks about idolatry because what happens is because of sin, we are tempted to turn inward and worship ourselves and create gods right. of our own hands that we worship instead of worshiping the one in whose image we are created. And this idolatry and this self-worship that is prevalent in our age, I mean, the, the chief idolatry today is self-worship. You know, as Frank Sinatra said, like doing it doing it my way. And um, this this leads us to worshiping ourselves, which then leads us to not view our neighbors as to, to love our neighbors as ourselves. Nope. So when we are consumed by selfishness. We don't see others as humans. And I think you're seeing hmm. this with the sexual revolution, that the sexual revolution has said, you know, if it feels good, do it. 
be governed by your emotions and by your desires that make desires prevalent. Mm -hmm. Well, now you're seeing how that this has led to the exploitation of children with human trafficking, Mm -hmm. pornography, to the exploitation of women. I mean, we're seeing just a continued reckoning on sexual assault of women. And much of this is because people are tempted to use their power against other people to gratify themselves. So that's the one temptation. Or, Or we can turn upward toward God and and glorify him. And so in Christ, he's redeemed us from being enslaved to our desires and then frees us then to love our neighbors ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so you see like in when Jesus comes and announces the kingdom of God, mm-hmm. the kingdom of God is good news for all those vulnerable people that mm-hmm. have been left behind. You know, it it's is. good news for the poor. Fatherless. Yes, the fatherless, the lame are being the healed, orphan. the sick, the orphan, mm-hmm. you know, the kingdom of God. So whenever we look out mm-hmm. for the most vulnerable in our society and speak up for those whose voices have been silenced, we are we are showing a small glimpse of the image of God. Absolutely. You know, when we feed the hungry, when we when we advocate for the orphan or for the immigrant, when we care about racial justice, we're showing a little glimpse of the kingdom of God. Absolutely. We are and and it's true religion. I I, I can never uh, what is it? Caring for the orphan and the mm-hmm. widow. Yeah. So we, I think, um, one of the things that I'm I'm glad you're focusing on in mm-hmm. this conversation is love, loving yeah. our neighbor as ourselves. Mm-hmm. I really do believe that it boils down to: yeah. Are we viewing people as made in the image of God? Every person, mm-hmm. do we view them as God does, and are we truly loving them? As we love ourselves, mm-hmm. I think if if we can take our skin off and put our skin onto someone else, yes, and we will relate so differently to them. And think about how we our perspective changes on issues. It changes when we humanize them. Yes. And so I think of Martin Luther King when he was in the sanitation strike in Memphis, yeah. and the people that were striking with him had very simple signs, and the signs said, "I'm a man." Yeah. And what he was saying was. We are we are persons. We are people. We are whole persons. Right. Uh, we're not property. We're not those people. We're whole whole persons. And I think that really should impact the way we see issues. And when we do this, it kind of makes us uncomfortable in any earthly movement. Yes, you know, because yeah. if you look around and say, "Who's really caring about dignity?" Some movements care about dignity in one area, but then they compromise it in others. And some areas care about dignity over here and compromise it in others. Mm -hmm. So it really makes us, as Peter says, sojourners and strangers not comfortable in any earthly movement. But I think it renews the prophetic voice of the church. Um, But it also affects the way we see ourselves and the way we see technology. I think Hmm. we're asking questions today even about our use of technology and what does it mean to be human? Right. Yeah. No, you're exactly right. And how do we relate to people? Mm-hmm. And and one of the another thing that you've written a book about is engagement on social media, mm-hmm. and and I think that um, we can dehumanize yes. people so quickly and so easily on in our social engagement and and on these topics that are so important. Mm-hmm. We we can quickly just forget that there's an actual living, breathing person, unless it's a bot. Yes. <laughs> A Russian bot, then they're not. But we, they're not. <laughs> you know, you're exactly right. I mean, when we're making these arguments, good arguments, we have to remember that the person with whom we disagree is a whole person. Yes, a whole. They're person. not the sum of. The, they're not just their argument. Yeah. Uh, we 
we have to see that our our job, you know, Paul says that his his goal was to persuade mm. and to make arguments that persuade people. You know, their their whole persons. We're not Fragmented. out there crushing avatars. You know, people mm. are not avatars. You know, they're they're actual people. And this is where I think the church is important because, okay. you know, if we're saturated digitally. Monday through Friday, and we're online, we're making arguments on Twitter and Facebook, and I think the church coming on Sunday mm. and gathering with our brothers and sisters in Christ, it's it's embodied presence. We're, yeah. th- you know, this is why I'm so passionate that church can't is not just a sermon and music. I mean, no. you can get better, probably a, a better sermon and better music online if you stay at home. The whole point of gathering and worshiping is we're gathering together as humans, right? Embodied presence. We're we're having a meal together in the Lord's Supper, and we're mm. standing together and singing to each other as people. Right. And and I actually think um, church is going to be even more important in this digital age because people are coming in saturated and tired and weary, right? And it does something to us to be so wired, yeah. That the analog nature of church, if if we keep it that way, where people are just standing and being present with each other and fellowshipping and praying and crying and laughing with each other. It's so important, especially for younger generations. I mean, I read this book called iGen by Gene Twenge that talks about this younger generation. This is the first generation that's fully wired and just how stunted they are in terms of social skills and how much less time Generation Z or the iGen spends with each other. And it made me think about like youth group. Think about youth group for a second. Like, Youth group for some of these people might be the only time where they come together and actually socialize with actual real people. And so the Bible has a lot to say about our humanity. Mm. It's a robust vision of what it means to be human that I think is really compelling. No, I think you're right. I think you're right. And so what do we do with churches on this topic? If we were to come together, we're all we're not all going to agree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> some of these topics, though, I think, Actually, this particular topic, mm-hmm. I I would – I think we could argue biblical grounds yes. for why we should um, up, uphold mm-hmm. the dignity of every human. Yeah. I, I don't think there's much argument here. Um, but with that said, how can local churches become equipped? Mm-hmm. How do they get involved? How do they become equipped? And how do they learn to actually care? Well, I think first of all, um, we need to train our eyes to see what what they're trained not to see. That is very good. So, I think of the parable of the Good Samaritan. Yes. You know, the people that passed by the man on the side of the road were religious people, right? And they knew that that person was there, but they walked past. They were able to to pretend it didn't exist. He didn't exist, and in a sense, dehumanize him. Yep. The Good Samaritan saw him as fully human even though he had to cross cultural barriers to see him. Um, so I think yep. we need to look around and say where is human dignity being compromised and and where can I with my skills and talents and opportunities and voice and influence make a difference? So I think individually. So it, it gets a little overwhelming when you look at the scope of the world, all the it people does. suffering. But where's God called me and where's my specialty and where, where where's God called me to do that? I think the second thing is we need pastors to really – and I'm just talking to myself because I'm a pastor, but right. to um, equip our people how to see the world. I think sometimes 
we're so afraid of being quote political in church that we we cede authority to other voices. Hmm. So our people are being catechized, if you will, by cable news, talk radio, internet pundits, because we've told them, you know, if you, if you want piety and if you want certain content, you can come to church. But if you want to know how to live in the world Monday through Friday, we can't help you with that. And so I think pastors hmm. need to preach the word in, in a systematic, expository way, preach through whole books, but really think about their application. You know, it's very easy for us as pastors to preach about sins outside the church and yeah. get a lot of amens, right? Yeah. So if you're in a very conservative context, it's very easy to rail against Hollywood yeah. and yeah. the Democrats or the pro-abortion lobby, all things that, you know, particularly on some of these issues that we should be talking about and get a lot of amens and your people go and think, I'm good. Or it's very easy, easy to, to pastor in a more progressive context and preach against the evils of, you know, the Republicans or, you know, the people who are anti-immigration or people who are bad on race and, you know, poverty. And those are all important issues. What we do need is preachers willing to just challenge their people and shepherd them in a loving way, not an elitist way, not talking down to people, but saying, so for instance, I think of the Great Commission passage or the passages in um, Acts where it talks about what God is doing uh, through the Holy Spirit. And I've heard a lot of those passages preached but never heard anything talk about race. And it's funny yes. to me because when you read <laughs> Matthew 28, it's yeah. all about that. Yep. I mean he's saying the gospel is good for all the nations, right. that all the nations are – God loves the nations. And it's really ethnos. It's ethnic groups. Mm-hmm. How can you preach that in this context and not challenge people to say – particularly if you're an American, say, man, the nations are coming here. Our neighborhoods look different. This is good. This is something God is doing. Mm-hmm. And uh, if we if we don't think the way God thinks about this, we're, we're not fulfilling Great Commission. Or if you think about Acts 1-8, where Luke makes a point in Acts to say there is someone here from every nation on earth. I mean, God and the church is bringing the nations together. And, right. and, and so if you're not preaching that way and, and thinking of real-world applications to challenge people on their idolatries – I don't think you're going to help form the consciousness of people as they walk, go from Monday to Friday. We have to equip them to go how to live in the world and how to think in the world and how to think about issues. So that when they're going on Facebook ranting about issues, they're they're well formed and not just kind of parroting what they hear, you know, from their favorite pundit, if you will. No, you're exactly right. So one of the things that I appreciated about working with you. Dan, and this is our last statement, is that you are pastoral. Mm. So when you talk to me and when you encourage me, I, I always leave feeling like I've met with a pastor. Oh, and thanks. Yes, it's, it, it's a blessing to have your boss also be a pastor um, and receive that care. Mm. How can you encourage and care for someone who's l- listening, one, They've made a mistake. They haven't. This has not been an issue. Maybe they struggle mm-hmm. with racism. Maybe they have been. Um, maybe they've had an abortion. Mm. Um, what What do you say to the person? Maybe they've they've just they've just just recently discovered that they have loads of bias towards immigrants that they mm-hmm. didn't realize. How do we encourage their them their hearts? Um, and then pastorally, how can you just? challenge and encourage steps forward for mm. the, the the regular normal like us lay person who's mm. listening and 
they want to do something, but maybe they feel like you just described, the, the world needs help. So how do we, it's a big right. world out there. What do I do? What's the next step thing? So encourage, encourage first of all, the sorrowful, mm-hmm. um, the person who has, their, maybe their sin has been revealed or they have struggled in some way, mm-hmm. and then encourage us f- towards our next steps, a gospel encouragement. Mm. That's, well, I mean, I think in the, uh, on the one hand, like all of us, are in a process of growth, right? Absolutely. So none of us are fully enlightened and fully where we should be. And I think of that verse in John where it says, it does not yet appear what we shall be, for we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. In other words, what John is saying is sanctification is a long, slow process. And even the best of us, you know, you, I don't know who the best Christian on earth is. Only God knows. Right. Even that person it doesn't even look close to what they'll look like when Christ returns and fully sanctifies them. It sounds to me like most of our sanctification sanctification will happen on the other side of <laughs> Jesus' return. Yes, when we're face to face. So we're all a work in progress. Right. We've all had. I mean, I remember. You know, there's certain seasons in my life where people who patiently discipled me on some of these issues, or I read something that was just like a really helpful on ramp to the issue. Right. And so I think. Man, there's grace. There has to be grace for us as we think about these things. And God God takes us where we are. And, and, and the church is made up huh, – the only kind of people God has are sinners. And so when right. I think about our brothers and sisters in Christ, I think about myself. We're, we're all sinners with, with blind spots and gaps um, in need of that sin. we don't even see. Yeah. Uh, secondly, I think we need pastors to patiently shepherd people on these issues. There's a tendency that once you kind of – understand a biblical concept or a biblical idea to kind of act like an elitist, like mm. we're in an ivory tower and kind of speak down to people and preach at people. This is real easy to do on Twitter and Facebook sure. and you're just speaking at people. And sometimes I read this and I think, is this kind of changing anybody's mind or is this just cathartic getting it out there so we feel good? Well, you know, the real change happens I think in communities where people are coming together in church and living with each other, having hard conversations. Right. And patiently walking people along a pathway. The best pastors that I've seen have just shepherded the people along a pathway. They they're in their lives. They know what they're where they're at, and they can make arguments. You know, Paul says we try to persuade men, and I think trying to persuade people and and know where people are. Uh, I, I've been really convicted of this the last couple of years. You know, just saying that um, maybe sometimes the the tone in which we have is so sort of you know, preaching at people instead of speaking to people, Hmm. you know, and uh, I, you know, my pastor, Daryl Crouch, I'm going to embarrass him. He's really good at this. He really, you know, he, he's earned, part of it is earning the capital, the friendship capital to be able to have those conversations. No, that makes sense. You know, if you're in somebody's life and you're friends over a long period of time, you can have these difficult conversations and people can learn and grow. People will listen to you. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's also just recommending books and resources and mm-hmm. say, man, you know, I, I hear what, what you're saying about race, for instance, and um, you might be interested in really reading this book. Or, I mean, that has really helped me. I've listened to two or three or four. I listen to a lot of audio books and I read, read a lot of books as well that have really changed my perspective on some things. I sure. didn't understand yeah. as a you know white person growing up in the suburbs was kind of isolated from some of the civil rights movement and their racial struggles. And once I read about that, I mean, I still have a long way to go. It really opened my eyes to say, man, like I, hmm. you know, and there's issues like that all across the board. People have been pro-choice and then they've read 
really what Scripture has to say, and they've thought through, and they've changed their mind. People have uh, been on wrong sides of a lot of issues. And so, you know, we're all a work in progress. I think what Jesus said to Peter, right? He said, when he rebuked him, Satan wants to sift you as wheat, but when you make it through all this, essentially encourage the brethren. Jesus could see ahead of Peter's foolishness right. and his bad ideas and bad opinions. Um, I mean, can you imagine early Peter on Twitter? Like that would have been, <laughs> you know, we'd be shaking our head. But he could see through that and ahead to where people change. And people are not static. They change and they grow. So we have to yeah. give people a chance. I want a chance. I want like – I need people to look at me with grace and yeah. say, yeah, I don't like this about Dan, but – I see God working in his life. You yes. Know, uh, um, and again, the only kinds of people God can use, the only people he has at his disposal are sinners. Absolutely. I mean, there's no other people. <laughs> right. So. No, you're right. So look to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Rest on Jesus. Yeah. Um, remind us ourselves of truth. Look to the scripture. Look, read some good books. Mm-hmm. And I'd add to it, pray, pray that yeah. God would um, reveal his word to yeah. us and that he would um, continue to transform our hearts. Mm-hmm. And I would say being open-handed and humble. Yeah. The Bible says God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Right. So you can either invite God's resistance or his grace. I want his grace. I don't want God lined up against me. I want his grace. I want his grace. And so too. being humble and open-handed and, and willing to learn and say, maybe I'm wrong about this issue. Maybe my opinions about this thing are not right. I'm not. I'm going to hold them loosely, um, and I also think uh, it's just really important for us to just have grace for each other and understand like we're all a work in progress. Um, you know, we're. Uh, I I think of uh, and embrace as, as one of my friends. I have a an African American friend who's pastoring a predominantly white church, but really working to move that church to be more multicultural in a, mm-hmm. in a great way and, and doing some really great work. And he says, you know, Dan, you have to embrace the discomfort. Mm-hmm. In other words, know that if you're doing what's right, you're going to get criticism. You're not going to have everybody like you. This is just the life to which we've been called. And I think that's encouraging. No, you're exactly right. Well, on that, we will we will end. Embrace the discomfort. I think that's right on when we're talking about human dignity and trying to love our neighbor as ourselves. So Dan, thank you so much for being on. Thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. Oh, good. Thank you. And we will look for your book. You can find it um, at theerlc.com once it comes out, Amazon, and Dan, your site. DanielDarling.com. That's what I thought, DanielDarling.com. So look for that book on human dignity excited that you're writing it, excited to learn from you. Well, thank you for tuning in to the ERLC podcast. I hope you'll tune in next time. This is Trillia Newbell. Thank you.